Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Impact Consulting Podcast, a podcast where we share stories and advice about how to make it as a freelance consultant in the social impact and international development space. Today, I was delighted to interview Molly Morrison about her journey as a freelance fundraising and partnership specialist. So a bit about Molly. Many of you already know her as co-founder of the Impact Consulting Hub, but most of her days are actually spent as an independent consultant, specialised in fundraising, project development, donor relations and capacity building for field staff. With over eight years of experience in the international development sector, gained across Africa, Asia and Europe, including as a Peace Corps volunteer in Burkina Faso, she's gained an in-depth understanding of the funding ecosystem and she's passionate about connecting resources to create impact. As you'll hear, she works with social impact organisations of every size and at every level of maturity, from large international NGOs to small grassroots organisations. Her services help organisations navigate donor requirements, position themselves in a competitive market, and build partnerships that ensure resources are utilised to drive meaningful change. After freelancing on and off, including as a side hustle for several years, Molly started freelancing full-time in September last year. And I've been extremely impressed to see her consulting career really blossom And in this episode, Molly takes us on that journey. She talks candidly about some of the challenges she faced, particularly as someone who isn't the natural networker or salesperson. And she explains how she overcame those challenges and how she managed to get those first clients. Anyway, there's a lot to get through. So without further ado, we hope you enjoy the interview. Okay, Molly Morrison, welcome to the show. Thank you. (laughs) So who are you and what is it that you do? As you mentioned, uh, my name is Molly Morrison, and I am a freelance fundraising expert um, for NGOs. Okay, and you're also co-founder of the Impact Consulting Hub, of yes, course. Yes, that I am. It's a new title, but one that I'm really excited about. And I think I detect there, Molly, uh, an American accent. <laughs> so maybe you can let us know where are you from and, and also where you're based now. So I was born and lived most of my, my youth, my, up until about uh, 21, I was in Colorado, uh, the United States. And now, and now where are you based? Uh, so... That depends. Um, for the most part, I'm based in the UK, but um, I, ha- I do various travels and uh, for work and for pleasure, so I can move around where, a bit. Where in the UK are you based? In a lovely seaside town known as Hastings. Oh, what a coincidence. Me too. Yeah, yeah. It's a <laughs> small world. Yeah, and uh, so how long have you been freelancing, Molly? Um... That's a good question. About a bit over a year um, that I've been independent and haven't been working for an organization full time. But before that, I was doing various projects kind of in my spare time or here and there ad hoc. Um, So I think, you know, I've kind of dipped my toes in the water a bit before I actually got to the point where I decided that I was going to do freelancing and be independent full-time. Yeah, I think what's interesting about your story, Molly, is that you've kind of been a part-time freelancer for quite a while now. And I think a lot of people relate to that. 
you know, you've you've had projects on the go, side projects for quite a while. And then if I have understood correctly, you really took that decision to go all in and full-time freelancing about a year and a bit ago now, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you get started as, well, I guess, first of all, how did you get started as a part-time freelancer? And then why did you decide to go in all in full-time? So I think that in the NGO world, there's often a lot of small projects that are bouncing around. Um, you know, the project-based nature of a lot of NGO work means that a lot of NGOs have a have a kind of different project cycle than, for example, a for-profit company. So they'll have a lot of work really suddenly and they'll need more people to do it because they get funding or whatever, or they're responding to an urgent need. They have a ton of work, they're super busy, they have money, and then it can kind of drop off and they'll look for new projects and then they'll get approved for something and the process starts all over again. So I think that in the space that tends to happen a lot. And when it does, either former clients or references or these various things that you find through networks will contact you uh, and say, oh, we've got this piece of work. Can you jump on? Can you do this quickly? We'll pay you just, you know, based on deliverables. And so I've done a few of those, not really thinking that this could be a job or this could be a full-time thing, that it would just be a supplement to what I was already doing. And I was interested in doing it and I wanted to help out in these various different reasons for doing it. And then... I finally got to a point where I thought, well, actually, these projects do seem to keep popping up. They seem to be relatively consistent. Maybe it would be a good idea to try to do more of this and also do it better and be a bit more organized and structured about how I do it. And so that's how the idea to become a full-time freelance or independent consultant came into fruition um, and that was really, and then it was also supported by uh, the fact that I had previous clients who wanted to continue working with me, but they didn't necessarily have full-time work for me. So in many cases, I was doing projects for them based on their need, especially with fundraising. You know, there's a fundraising cycle. Um, it's not something that they necessarily need all the time, um, especially if they have grant, if they're applying for grants and things like that. So it can be a bit of that stop and starting that I mentioned. And so a lot of my previous employers became my clients. Okay. And also you talk a lot about your clients and the work that you're doing. Perhaps you could give us a bit of an overview of what a typical project looks like for you. So people can, I guess, get a bit of an understanding of what, what it is you do. Yeah, so I guess um, I have different services that I offer. So when I sit down with a client for the first time, I walk them through. First, I listen to what they want and what they need and where their organization is. And then I think about what services would be a good fit for them, um, given their current situation, given the staff that they have, the resources that they have. Uh, etc. So then, so when, once I do that, I kind of lay out a menu of options. And then um, 
within that menu of options, what I generally do is I have a grant writing service. So if they're interested in going after grants from philanthropic donors, I will help them put together that application. And then, um, you know, that one's pretty straightforward. Um, and then I'll do other types of fundraising support in terms of helping them research, so helping them find different opportunities, whether they want to go after grants or they want to go after, you know, if, for example, they're a social enterprise and they want to go after impact funding, you know, what would that look like? How would they put together a pitch? How would they put together a brief, a concept note, all these kind of things. So, you know, it really depends on the organization and what point they're at in their um, development and how much fundraising they're willing to do and all that stuff. But anything that's basically linking the organization and helping them communicate with donors, find donors, and pitch to those donors, all of that kind of falls within my umbrella of services. Yeah, and I think what's great about your consulting practice, Molly, is that what you, I know you've worked with some big organizations, some big NGOs in the past as well, but what I like about your practice is that you're working a lot with smaller organizations too. And it would seem as well that for that reason, what you do is very suitable, very suited to freelancing because, you know, you're... Uh, a smaller NGO just doesn't need a full-time fundraising officer. Yeah, exactly. And so it they can't afford to have one. And so what they end up doing is, on one hand, they can't afford it, a full-time fundraising officer, so then they either don't do fundraising, which is a worst-case scenario, or they have somebody who's doing it in addition to the project work that they're already doing, or they have someone who is, you know, underqualified or doesn't have a lot of experience. So that person ends up kind of struggling and floundering and then they don't find the opportunities or they don't end up getting the, the funding that they need. So, you know, so it really does hurt these small organizations. And I think that for me, being able to come in and give them support in a very targeted way and then also working with the team and helping them realize, okay, well, if somebody's already doing, you know, putting together project reports or something, they might as well turn that into a blog or, uh, you know, send that out to stakeholders or package it in a certain way so that people can see what they're doing and potential donors who are already interested can keep that relationship going. So it's kind of like finding little points where the staff can take what they're already doing and turning that into more fundraising opportunities. So I think, you know, that's kind of an exciting and interesting way to work with these organizations and to help them and, and really, I don't know, just help them to stay afloat because it is really challenging for NGOs, especially small ones. And, you know, it is kind of shocking if they don't get funding, then they could go under and disappear within a matter of months or years so it really is important and and being that person to help them and to create that sustainability it's really nice yeah that's great and I, I mean I think as well your experience highlights how many 
ways there are to make a livelihood, to make a living as a freelancer. Because I know, you know, I've, I've obviously gained a lot of satisfaction from being close to you during your entire consulting journey. And I know we, we had a lot of conversations in the past about whether it's better to target larger NGOs yeah. to have, I guess, bigger projects and more consistent work from a smaller number of clients. But you've been able to really do very well from having perhaps a larger portfolio of clients, but smaller organizations with a larger number of smaller projects, if that makes sense. Because yeah. uh, as you know, I work with a few large international organizations and I get a lot of uh, projects through a small number of clients. But there's a lot of different ways that freelancing can be done. And I think your, yeah. your example. And I think for me, I, I'm a person who likes to wear many hats and I like to do different activities and I like to work with different organizations um, that are doing a variety of different thematic interventions. So for me, being able to have that diversity and yeah, just being able to jump around and work on a wide range of things and really get my hands dirty with these small organizations has been really nice. So I think that it's encouraging um, in terms of, yeah, being able to find a model that works for you and being able to tailor the work to, to find the things that you like to do, I think is really one of the best things about consulting. So yeah. yeah. And just think of how far you've come in the last year or so you've worked just in the space of a year, you've worked on a crowdfunding campaign for ventilators. Yeah. You've worked on, what is it? You've done um, renewable energy grants. Mm -hmm. uh, you've done grants for, uh, well, you, you tell us, <laughs> just to, just give us a couple <laughs> more examples. Yeah, to show. I mean, yeah, just in terms of concrete examples of projects that I've worked on. Um, I, I worked on a, a grant for a nature conservatory type organization in the UK and they they were trying to like save the butterflies, certain <laughs> species of butterflies that are kind of indicators of ecosystem health. Um, I've worked on a, a grant to support uh, an app that allows pediatric experts to communicate with um, doctors in, in conflict zones, including Syria and Iraq. Um, yeah, all types of organizations, you know, and really the range is very shocking um, because, yeah, one minute I'm working on saving butterflies and the next we're sending ventilators to Palestine and the next we're doing something completely different. So I think that for me, it's really exciting to do that. And I, I don't know, I think, you know, it is a bit of a challenge because every time you start a new program or a new project, you're trying to catch up with a lot of stuff that people already know. You know, they already know what butterflies are important and why. And so you're kind of Googling like, what's this like blue butterfly and why is it important? But it also is an advantage because you're outside of the organization kind of looking in. And so if they can explain to you why the blue butterfly is important, then you can explain that to other people that aren't in the know. And so in some ways that lack of 
expertise can be an advantage because you can pick out if someone says, oh, this is why this thing's important, you can pick out those important key phrases and you can put that in a message that's very accessible to the public. So no longer do you have to be an expert to understand why blue butterflies are important. Yeah, interesting. Uh, good to learn about butterflies on this on this uh, podcast as well. Uh, I wanted to take this. Uh, well, first, also, you know, you've, t- you've talked about just now, we've talked about how you work with a large array of clients. And so how do you get those clients? Um, so it's been mostly word of mouth and different people recommending me through their networks. So as we've alluded to, many NGOs, especially small ones, really struggle with fundraising. So if someone is struggling with, you know, and a, a director of an NGO is struggling with fundraising and they're talking to someone, then my name will come up as someone who can help them. And so they pass my contact to them and then I set up a consultation, that sort of thing. And so I think for me, just because fundraising is such a widespread need for NGOs, it's so pressing and a lot of NGOs are surprisingly not very good at it. They're usually good at what they're, hopefully, I mean, usually this is what happens is the NGO is really good at delivering the projects. So that's the kind of NGOs I like working with. Maybe they're working in Ghana, they're doing the delivery of their education program, they're doing an amazing job, all the participants are enjoying it, they're getting a lot out of it, they have all these different ways that they're reaching people, things are great, but then when it comes to fundraising, they don't always know how to do it or or maybe they in their heads know how to do it, but then when it comes to actually pulling the trigger on some of these ideas, it's really difficult. So so anyways, the you can kind of see that pattern happening over and over again. So with me, my services are very widespread. They're very kind of ad hoc. Um and then I maintain that relationship with the NGO over time. And when a project pops up, I'm there to, to help. And, uh, well, that, I think word of mouth is going to be a, a common theme for a yeah, lot of freelancers so. because it really is if you do good work, then generally people do recommend you to, to others or they come back for more. What would you say are your main business development activities, though, aside from doing the work and getting referred? Um, that's a good question. I do. So obviously I have a website, but it's, you know, I did all the CEO or, or sorry, SEO um, optimization and all that stuff. And I never found that to be very good at driving people, relevant clients, potential clients to my website. So basically what's worked better for me is building a network on LinkedIn or going to, obviously not now because of COVID, but going to networking events. And then I, when I meet someone, then I use my website as kind of a digital business card. I obviously have real business cards as well, but but I want people to go to my website so they can see what kind of services I offer. They can see what clients I've worked on in the past. And I also have a blog. So I do develop content that's 
you know, advice for NGOs about fundraising. And then I share that content on LinkedIn and, and various things like that. So I found that it hasn't really worked for me to do a straight advertising campaign. And, you know, maybe that's not indicative of, you know, the wider sector. Maybe it's just my personal experience. I've always found that there has to be some combination of having people in your network, having them in, uh, you know, connected to you on LinkedIn and then being a persistent presence in their life. And then, um, I have done a few, oh, I have a mailing list and I do, um, emails as well to update people. I think blog posts too. Yeah. And the blog posts, I kind of share that information around. So I do give kind of free advice and I also give free, you know, I'm not going to charge people for a consultation because in a lot of cases, the NGO isn't really sure what they want to do and they want to just talk with me and see where they're at and kind of I can give them my best advice given on given the information that they give me. So that sort of stuff is kind of, it's all in that personal touch type networking type of way. Um, but I, and I haven't had a lot of success with like, um, doing just straight applications and things like that, you know, where they post a call for proposals and then submitting something to that hasn't always been that successful for me. It's been a lot better for me to get clients through my network, whether that's digital or through events or through just word of mouth. Well, share with us the, the, your experience getting that one children's children's charity as a client. So I went to an event in London that's um, just, you know, one of these events. They post a lot, or they did pre-COVID. Bond, right? Bond UK. Yeah. Yeah, Bond UK. NGO umbrella organization, right? Yeah. So they do a lot of different um, sessions for NGOs to support NGOs. And anyways, they had a workshop and I went to it and I got... I put my name just on the list or the registration list and I put myself as independent consultant for fundraising and partnership development and someone reached out to me randomly. I think she called or maybe, I don't know, sent an email and... I think she just called you on the phone, right? Yeah, I think so. And it was a bit surprising because I was like, who is this? And she was like, I heard you're an independent consultant for fundraising. And so I've been working with this NGO since then. Um, like I said, sporadically. So it's just been kind of projects here and there, depending on what's available and what's needed. But I've worked with them, yeah, for a while on various projects. And it just came from being on the registration (laughs) list. And it was really funny because I remember that day leaving and and having kind of, you know, you leave with a stack of business cards in your hand and you kind of think, okay, I'll follow up with various people. You're a little excited, but then, you know, you follow up and then it kind of wears off and you're like, okay, you know, what was the point? Because that conference was definitely a bit on the pricier side as well. So I was kind of like, what was the point of that? And then I ended up getting this um, client from them and um, that client actually referred me to another client. So it was really good event. And I, but you know, I didn't even realize it until a few weeks after when I got this phone call. And so I guess the moral of the story is you never know. And um, 
yeah, you just have to keep putting yourself out there. <laughs> well, I, I think it underlines quite a lot of things, actually. I mean, there's the spur, the sporadity, if that's a word, the randomness <laughs> that that business development serendipity. Can yeah, serendipity. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I think when you put yourself out there, when you meet more people, when you expand your network, then you're more likely to get that serendipity. And in addition to that, I think it was. And we're going to come to some of the lessons learned from your journey. Uh But I think what that example also underlines is the importance to have quite a clear role as an independent consultant, a a clear specialism, because you were a fundraising person and that person who called you scoured that attendance list and found someone who was a fundraising person because they needed fundraising. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, she was looking for that keyword, and that's what she saw in my title, and that made that connection in her mind. So. Yeah, and I think a lot of people listening to this, especially you know, see people who are seeing your LinkedIn, your website, are probably thinking, "Oh, this lady, she knows, she knows what she's doing. She's a she's a business development <laughs> expert. She can get clients here, there, and everywhere." So what you know let's get real molly was uh, have you always been the natural freelancer and the natural networker I think it is safe to say that I am not I am not naturally I, well it's kind of hard to say because I would say that I'm not naturally the person who's going to be reaching out to lots of people I'm actually very quiet in my in chat rooms and things like that I can be quite chatty when I'm uh, talking one-to-one to people, but in a group or something like that, I'm not going to be the one who's... In the house. Oh, mm-hmm. no, well, you're very chatty in the house. Yeah, yeah. I'm very chatty with people. So, and, and that's the thing is I do like people and I like that sort of thing, but I wouldn't say that I'm very good at networking. I'm also not very... I have a lot of... get a lot of anxiety when approaching new people and... Um, you know, uh, like this event that I just described where uh, I went to this event and I, uh, you know, I can still remember because I was on the train going into London and I felt, and I remember just feeling like physically ill with anxiety. And I'm going to London. <laughs> Every time you go into London, you feel physically ill. <laughs> I get that too. <laughs> but, you know, and I think that I, and I still can remember that quite clearly because it was such a strong sensation and then going in and just feeling, you know, I think we're going to talk about this at, at a later time, but the imposter syndrome and who's going to listen to me and do I even have a right to be at an event like this? And then, um, but once you start talking to people, you start to make connections and you start to understand, you know, that you're not the only one who feels like this. And, um, and, and then also if you're going there with an open mind and you're thinking about how can I make friends, how can I help people, how can I be a part of this world that I feel so passionate about, then it changes your perspective and it makes it a lot easier. And, uh, and actually one of the people that I met there, I'm still in contact with, and she's also a freelancer and we've been doing kind of like a joint blog post series and things like that. And we catch up and talk about various freelancing life type things, you know, and so you never know, you know, she's not a client, obviously, but she's actually referred a client to me that I'm still working with now. 
And so all of these little things are like pushing down the first domino and it creates this chain of impact. And so I think for me, I've been really lucky with a lot of that, but, and I think I've put myself in the right position to access a lot of that. But I would say that if anyone is feeling the same way that I do, you know, feeling anxious, feeling like, oh, I hate approaching new people. I hate going to these events because I feel like I'm going to throw up all that stuff. I think, you know, I can, I can relate to that. And yeah, I think at some point you have to push through it and, and once you do, it gets easier. So uh, yeah, and a lot of encouragement to anyone <laughs> yeah, who's getting, feeling that way. Getting Maybe real it's here. just me. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think there's, there's on the one hand, pushing yourself outside your comfort zone and then on the other also finding, you know, your own style yeah. of business development, your own style of networking. Yeah, exactly. Like if you know that you are bad at certain things, then, you know, yeah, you can push yourself to do those things and sometimes you have to, but if you feel, oh, you're more confident to do a different way, you can find a way to do it, to do the thing that you feel more comfortable in. So, yeah. Okay. And what, so what would you say are the biggest lessons that you've learned during the course of your freelance development consulting journey? I think the first one and the biggest one was definitely putting myself in a niche because I think everybody gets a bit afraid of pigeonholing themselves in a certain thing when you have a, a wide range of talents and interests and passions. And so you want to be this generalist and, you know, I will go down the list of different calls for proposals for consultancies. And I'm like, I could do that. I could do this. I can do that. And so you just don't want to put your pigeons in their little holes. You want to have access to everything. And so I had to really think hard about what I wanted to do primarily and what I want to be kind of labeled as. And then once I put that on, I, I want to be a fundraising consultant. And once I put that label on myself, then people were able to contact me and link me to specific jobs. And then from there, you know, you can always find, you can always branch out. And you're not totally stuck in that rut, but I think, you know, but I, that I was so afraid of. So it didn't turn out to be what I was afraid of, but it was so important to get that first framing of how, of what you want to do, putting that label on yourself, putting your pigeon in the hole. I don't know that's not what I'm saying, but you know what I mean. And, and so that was a huge step. Um, and then after that, I think, um, was the next kind of big realization was about making sure that I was networking, I was reaching out to people and also doing it in the right way. So not being, not thinking in my head, okay, I have to go out, I have to get a client, I have to make some money right now, going out and thinking, okay, I have my services, I know that they're useful and if someone has a need for my services, I know that it that I will provide value to that person, but I don't need to pressure them into doing it because it's, you know, if they don't need it, then they don't need it. 
And if they can't afford it, then, you know, they can't afford it. If they aren't interested in it, in it right now, then that's how it is. And you just have to, and you, you shouldn't be like, oh, that person didn't like me or that person's a jerk or that person's wrong or my services aren't good or, you know, all that kind of baggage that you end up having. You should go into it more as like, as just thinking, you know, things happen in this world and hopefully you make that good connection and hopefully you find a client that is as excited about what you're doing and what you're bringing to the table as you are. So, um, just being patient and waiting for that and not trying to force stuff to happen. Absolutely. And I think certainly, especially the point you've made about, uh, the labeling of yourself or being known for something was something that really accelerated your freelancing yeah, career. Definitely. And that's also something that I relate to as well, because I was also a bit, a bit here, there and everywhere during the early stages of my freelancing career. And it's really when I started leaning into the specialism that I developed in the field of migration, that things really started to happen. And I think that's that kind of marked a turning point, point in my career as well. Uh, anyway, um, I think that's about it for now, Molly. I think it's, I've enjoyed, well, I already know your story, but I've enjoyed hearing it again and, <laughs> and working with you to tell it to everyone. So how can people, I mean, I think a lot of people listening will be already part of our community, the Impact Consulting Hub. So we'll already know you and we'll already be, be connected. But for those who are not part of this community, how can they find out more about you and connect? I think the best way is LinkedIn uh, or my website. And my website is mollymorrisonconsulting.com, I think. You don't seem so sure, but it, it will be in the show notes. It'll be, yeah, it'll be, the link will be there. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, uh, Molly Ann Morrison. And obviously from there, you can find my website and my blogs and all of the fundraising uh, advice and different resources that I have available you can access all of that so yeah definitely happy to hear from anybody who is interested in consulting as a career or they're already you know they're already involved they're already doing stuff or if they want to know more about fundraising all that fun stuff I'm always up for a chat and happy to connect with people Molly Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much for listening to the Impact Consulting Podcast. If you want more free advice and guidance on becoming a freelance consultant in the social impact and international development space, head to impactconsultinghub.com and subscribe to our mailing list. We'd love to see how we can help. Thanks again for tuning in and see you next time.